0: Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. Well, I'm glad that Christmas is here, and, and Johnny's story uh, in that video is a story of redemption, and I love to hear of the advent of Christ into Johnny's life. I'm glad that C2 could play a part in, in the restoration and the redemption that we see in his story Perhaps many of you could identify with the parts of Johnny's story. He talks about redemption He talks about the messiness, but each of us have a story and perhaps stories of how God has worked in your life and in your story of how you've experienced new life in him. You know, many of us have come to that point having done all we could do in our own lives, being brought to the end of ourselves It's that moment at the end of ourselves that we find that Jesus finds the most opportune time to enter into our story. And this is the hope of Christmas, is that Jesus enters the story of humanity, that he's born into a messed up world. Can we all just agree that we live in a messed up world? We do, and Jesus enters into that world, and he was one who would and could make a way for us, for all of humanity, to find a way back to God. He could bring hope and peace and joy and restoration and healing. This is what the whole of the Old Testament, the prophets, this is what it's leading up to. This is what they foretold. That the work of God in the Bible is not just history, but it's his story. Wait for it. Some of you just got that. His story, history, okay, very good. And his story in the Old Testament is his work throughout time to bring a people, us, back to himself. And this, the Old Testament, is pointing the way. And in the Old Testament, we constantly see a reminder of Israel's long-awaited hope throughout those books of a Messiah, a Savior, Thomas Stork writes it this way, and I'm going to quote him. What was the hope of ancient Israel and the coming Messiah, and how did it develop as God narrowed the focus of these prophecies over the ages? The messianic expectation of ancient Israel consisted of several strands, some of which were highlighted or stressed more at one time or by one prophet than others, but altogether they introduced this multifaceted messianic hope which God presented in more and more definite way over the course of the salvation history of the Old Covenant or the Old Testament. It is important to realize that God did not inspire the prophets of the Old Testament with one single concept of a coming messianic figure who would be born at Bethlehem, preach a new covenant, suffer and die from crucifixion, rise again, thus gloriously defeating Satan, establish a spiritual kingdom on earth, then the church and a kingdom of the just in heaven. He didn't do it. Though all these things are foretold in the Old Testament, the manner in which God chose to reveal his plan for the rescue of the human race was not as simple as announcing beforehand exactly what would be done, how, when, and by whom. Instead, he goes on to say, from the initial call of Abraham to leave his kinsmen and follow God into an unknown land in Genesis chapter 12, through the last post-exilic prophetic statements, such as Malachi's prophecy of the forerunner, St. John the Baptist, in Malachi. God brought Israel to or Israel's attention certain expectations of future actions involving divine intervention to establish universal and perfect justice and peace. When put together and rightly understood, the sum of these prophecies give us a remarkable picture of our Lord and his work, but they were initially given in a fragmentary fashion. I know that's a long bit to read. I could have just made it sound like I wrote that, but this guy's much smarter, so I thought I'd give him credit. It points the way to what we kind of want to talk about this morning, about God with us, that it was foretold. That these pieces throughout the whole of the Old Testament, while in my own reading, sometimes I I don't quite get it. it, It's not like a puzzle that just kind of comes together, but it's a mystery that's being solved, that's sort of presenting evidence, leading the way to the birth of Christ in the New Testament. And that's where the Old Testament leads us. The New Testament writers, like the gospel writers and the Apostle Paul, gather and connect and explain these fragments for our understanding. Even Jesus, at times, in his claims of divinity, his claims to be the king, explains many of the prophecies himself that that apply to him. It cannot be underestimated the longing, the expectation that the Jews held for this coming Messiah. I mean, this is what their whole culture, all of religion focused around in that time, was this coming Messiah and the expectation. And this is what we open up to in the New Testament, in the Gospels, and the arrival of Jesus into this era of longing for relief from Roman occupation and oppression for sure, but just the longing for this Messiah. Prior to that, the division between the Old Testament and the New Testament is called the intertestamental period. I call it the period of silence. But God was still speaking. 400 years between the last writer in the Old Testament, Malachi, and between Matthew, there is this longing, this expectation for the Messiah. I encourage you to, if you go online to c2church.com and you look up our podcast, go back to last Christmas podcast where we talk about the silence and the significance of the silence prior to Christ's birth. When the New Testament opens up, then in the book of Matthew, it opens up not like you would expect a best-selling book or a blockbuster movie. It opens up with a genealogy. Yes, yes. That part of the Bible where so and so begat so and so begat so and so, right? Boring. But Matthew, the writer, knew that the people he was writing to would understand the purpose of his writings. You see, Matthew begins to trace what the Jews had long expected that this soon coming king, this Messiah, would come in the line of David, he would be a perfect king. And he would bring back the glory to Israel. The kingdom would be restored. They would no longer suffer oppression, whether by Roman oppression, Assyrian oppression, Babylonian oppression. And so in this, Matthew begins his book with a genealogy from Abraham to a man named Joseph, all the way through David. It's interesting that he draws this line. It really is a line of hope for sure that the Jews respected Abraham and Moses and David. David was sort of above all. I mean, they, they, uh, they appreciated Abraham and Moses and, and even their first king, Saul. But David, he was a, he was a notch above everybody else, just as imperfect as he was. And this line that Matthew draws is the same line that's drawn throughout the whole of the Old Testament, this line of hope. And he draws this line through the people. Abraham, David, on to a man named Joseph. The audience he's writing to would immediately understand what he was doing. He was establishing who Jesus was in the line of David, that he truly was whom they expected. And so here it is. In Matthew, where we're going to go this morning, Matthew chapter 1, if you have your scriptures with you, you can open up to Matthew chapter 1. It's also on the version app, the live version. You can go ahead and click on our notes. It'll also be on the screen. After the genealogy, it immediately moves to the next part, an appearing of an angel to this man named Joseph. Joseph's a nobody, but he is a descendant of David. He's a carpenter. And an angel appears to this carpenter named Joseph. We'll pick up the story in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Take a step back from the, moment, from the fact that you're sitting in church. This is a crazy story, right? How does Mary come home one afternoon and say, Mom and Dad, guess what? You got an A on your test? Close. I'm pregnant. <laughs> you're, you're, who, well, who's the father? God. Yeah, good excuse, Mary. It it's an unlikely story. It's barely plausible. And yet here we find ourselves the world having changed because of this holiday, this thing we call Christmas that some call a fairy tale yet has transformed our world, even our shopping culture has changed because of Christmas. All because this advent of this baby who comes into the world get this no other religion has this story where their god comes out of his story into our story who comes to save his people a god who comes to make a way so that people could come to him most religions the ones i've read and studied are all about what you can do to get to god christianity is all about what god did to come to you and bring you back to himself. And he comes to save us, a messed up and violent people. No other religion has a creator God who created people, humankind, out of love to have relationship with. In fact, no other religion believes in a personal God who can be known intimately. In many religions, to even think or say that God could be known intimately is blasphemous. But here we find ourselves in a story that one cannot help but know that this God of this story is intimate. He wants to be known. And he wants to enter into not just the story, but into your story, into the story of all humankind. C.S. Lewis, in in response to the Russian cosmonaut, uh, back in the days when the Russians put the first cosmonaut in space, the cosmonaut says, I went to space and did not find God there. C.S. Lewis, a famous writer, responded by saying, proving God's existence by going into space is like Hamlet going into the attic of his castle to find Shakespeare. Hamlet is a character in a book Written by Shakespeare. Just so you guys, uh, if you haven't read, that's a, okay, anyway, all right. (laughs) All the college students, you're with me, all right. (laughs) Shakespeare would associate and relate with Hamlet as a playwright would relate to any of his characters. Hamlet would know Shakespeare as Shakespeare put information about himself in the story. And revealed his character in the characters and in the story itself. But God himself does not remain apart. simply as the playwright. He writes himself into the story itself. Get that. Jesus comes into the story, into your story, into my story, into history. He's written in. God himself writes himself into the story. He's no longer apart from it. He's now in it. He comes into this messy world. The Old Testament reveals for us this story gone awry, that people going their own way, wanting not the author to write the story, but that they wanted to write their own story. And surely that's what I've done with my own life. I want to write my own story, God. Thank you very much. And yet when we come to the end of the story that we can write or we want to write and realize there's no hope in that, Jesus invites himself into the story. And if we accept it, if we invite him in, he will begin to write the story. I think that's what the greatest thing about a testimony is. In church, we call it a testimony. It's your story. Johnny tells the story of how God came into his story. And this is what Christmas is all about. It's about the hope found in God writing Jesus into our story. Many traditional uh, churches celebrate a thing called Advent. Have you heard of it? Advent. There's lighting of candles, and there's different liturgical sayings. And and I, I love the thoughts behind Advent. Advent Mean, simply means the arrival of a notable person or thing or the expectation of such an arrival. And the first candle that they light on Advent is called the candle of hope. Did you find that fitting? The candle of hope. That fits what we find in the Old Testament in people ex- people's expectations of a Savior. There was hope, a looking forward to. Candles provide hope, don't they? When, when the power goes out, right, you want a candle. Can you turn the lights out, please? Hold on. Let me light my candle. Boom. Just did. <laughs> huh? Look at this. It's even interactive. Oh. oh that's hot. I'm just kidding. It's a phone. <laughs> it's not hot. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Some of you got that. There's something about... Light in the darkness. Go ahead and you can pull out your phone. That's okay. Maybe you even have a candle app. How cool would that be? <laughs> if you actually have a candle app, I thought, thought that'd be kind of lame. But <laughs> Candles bring hope because they provide light. They provide, they provide for us something to journey towards. If you've ever been in a dark hallway and there's a light at the end of it, you want to go towards it because there's a hope there. Or if we've ever been lost in the dark at nighttime, but you, you search out any sort of light. It's fitting that Advent starts with a candle of hope. All right, I'm turning my candle off now. That means you can turn the lights back. All right, very good. <laughs> Candles provide hope. It's, it's comfort. But hope is a dangerous thing, isn't it? Hope is a dangerous thing. In the Hunger Games, there's this interaction. It's a book and a movie, if you're familiar. There's this interaction be- between President Snow and the game maker, Seneca. You put that picture up on the screen. The, President Snow is the guy on the left. Seneca, the game maker, is on the right. And they're having this conversation about the game, the Hunger Games. And President Snow says this Seneca, why do you think we have a winner? A winner, sir? What do you mean? I mean, why do we have a winner? If we just wanted to intimidate the districts, why not round up 24 of them at random and execute them all at once? Be a lot faster. Hope. Seneca replies Hope. Hope. It is the only thing stronger than fear. A little hope is effective, a lot of hope is dangerous. A spark is fine as long as it's contained. It's in this moment of history that Rome is oppressing the Jews. They want to contain any hope that they have of a a king. And even the religious leaders of of the Jews at times find themselves fighting against this hope for a Messiah that some are saying is the person Jesus Christ because they know hope can undo all the things they fought for, all the things that are within their control. There's this expectation of a Savior in Israel. The Messiah was to come. There would be light in the darkness. I love the way the gospel writer John, the fourth gospel in the New Testament, he opens up his book with a Christmas story of sorts. John chapter 1 starts this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14 goes on to say, The Word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Hope had come into the world. This, it, okay, it's not exactly the Christmas story, but it's telling you that the light has come into the darkness, that hope has come in to the oppression. This is the Christmas story that God came to us. What John refers to here in his gospel, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, Matthew refers to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah seven fourteen when he calls Jesus the Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the central story of the gospel, that God came to us to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. God is with us. God dwelling among us, making his home among us, walking among us as one of us. This is the hope of the New Testament. This is a greater hope than the expected Messiah of the Old Testament. The Jews hoped for a king, They hoped for a Messiah who, in their thoughts, would cause uprising and and a revolt against the Roman oppressors or whatever oppressors would be of of that day. In fact, their their hope was not so much for a Messiah as a messianic era of the Messiah that would return the reign in the kingdom of Israel through the line of David. Their, Their king would be a conqueror. He would come with a sword and... He would be mighty and and Rome would pay. And Rome would be put out. They wanted to be a superpower again. They wanted that, that notoriety that every nation would fear them and they would no longer suffer at the hands of another nation. They didn't expect the Messiah they got. Personal, humble, suffering, serving. And but this is what the angel told Joseph. You are to call him Yeshua. Greek form Joshua, the name Jesus in Hebrew. Yeshua. That word means the Lord saves. You are to call him Yeshua. Name him Jesus, for he will save his people. But the period isn't there. It goes on. He will save his people from what? Their sin. There's this understanding that a king that could come in as a conquering king to push out Rome through violence would only beget more violence. Problem wasn't the oppressive people. The problem wasn't oppression from without. It was oppression from within, this thing called sin. He would save his people from themselves, from their sin, from their constant obsession of having to write their own story. This was the curse upon all mankind. This is the curse for which Jesus came to break us from. Hope was coming through one man. I like the way Romans chapter 5 writes it. You get into Romans chapter 5 and it gets a little confusing. So I'll, I'll break it down for you. It'll be up on the screen, but I'm not going to read it. It basically talks about the one man, Adam, at the beginning of time. His choice to sin brings sin to all mankind. We suffer The curse of that. Whether we deliberately sin or not, we are cursed with that nature. Adam, the first Adam, being natural man, brings life, and by his choice brings death to all mankind. And then the writer of Romans, the Apostle Paul, goes on to say, "But there's a new Adam, another Adam, in fact, the last Adam. This Adam was not born of dust, but born from heaven. He is not natural; he is supernatural. He is spiritual." And he begins to draw this line between the two Adams. Through the first Adam was brought death, but through the last Adam, the person of Jesus, is life. The curse of death and suffering will be broken under the second Adam. And just as the one brought in death, so will the second bring in life. And he goes on to say that the gift of grace through the person of Jesus Christ is greater than the curse of sin. Let's say that again. The gift of grace through the person of Jesus Christ is greater than the curse of sin. This is important because some of you suffer, I say some of you, all of us suffer under the curse of sin. But some fall prey to the mindset that I cannot break the curse of my sin. And it's true, you can't. When you find yourself under the curse of sin through habits and addictions, uh, chasing things that never seem to satisfy, always wanting more, all these things that come out in selfish ways, you cannot break of your own accord, but Jesus came to do what you and I cannot do for ourselves. This second Adam brought a gift of grace that's so much greater than the curse of sin. Never forget that God's grace is more powerful than sin. And in this, sin entered through one man, but eternal life, forgiveness and grace would enter through one man as well, Jesus Christ. Grace was being, in, was being born in Bethlehem that night, and Joseph was told of this hope that's coming, that you will name him Yeshua. The Lord saves, for he will save the people from their sin. This is what the prophets in the Old Testament foretold. For it is said that there will be an ideal Davidic ruler, a king who embody all of these perfect characteristics. This king will perfectly embody the reign of God. Perfectly. And so it is with Jesus. He demonstrates, gives for us an example, the perfect reign of God in our lives. What would it look like if you would allow the perfect reign of God in your life? It would look like Jesus. That's what it would look like. Many people wonder how did Jesus know and do all the things that he did? Was it because he was divine? Yes, he was fully divine, but he was fully man. Philippians 2 tells us that he gave up his divinity, the right to claim the power that he had as God. He gave that up when he came to earth. He emptied himself of it. Coming to earth as a man, he lived perfectly with the reign of God through himself by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is how he did what he did. And Jesus came to bring that. And the life of that he lived introduces us to that reign of God. And unlike any other king, he didn't fail. Unlike any other religious ruler, he did not sin. Unlike any other sacrifice, his sacrifice would not have to be repeated. This is the hope of Christmas. Christmas is a a time of hope, is it not? Of receiving gifts... Most of them, which I don't deserve, I do deserve a few, but not as, you know, just want to be clear. <coughs> Think about Christmas for a moment. Maybe you have to go back a few years to those moments of expectation. What am I going to get? Did anybody else have to wait up in their room while Mom and Dad brought out all the gifts, and you just you, you were just so excited? Do, do you remember that? Close your eyes if you need to just to remember that excitement, that anticipation. I couldn't wait. I had my list made up long before Thanksgiving. I had the the catalog dog-eared with my initials on it. And then I ripped out my brothers' and sisters' pages and threw them away. (laughs) Catalogs were these things made out of paper and had (laughs) pictures on them. I don't know if you guys knew that. Now you guys just mark it on Pinterest and send mom and dad the list. But in that moment, you remember that anticipation, that excitement? And perhaps you, you hoped for this perfect Christmas. You'd get the gifts that you wanted and, and and the great food that you'd have and all the family members that you liked would be there. <laughs> <laughs> but come on, as you got older, the excitement of Christmas faded. You realize that the relatives you don't like would be gonna be there too. <laughs> Right? And, and, and the excitement of the presents wore off and they would break. And, and, and as a parent, the gift that you just gave your kid an hour ago, now they're, they're, they're all being bratty and mean to you and sassy. The perfection of Christmas fades quickly. The hope is forgotten. Last night I read the story to my, my kids the night before Christmas. Do you guys remember that, that story, that poem? You show that picture. This is like the perfect Christmas, right? Right? Got the warm fire and the perfectly decorated tree and the presents and, eh, yeah, there's a cat. It's not really perfect, but whatever. <laughs> the stockings are hung by the chimney with care. The, this, the snow falling gently outside. This is the perfect Christmas. Is that what our hope is? Is that, is that what the Christmas hope is all about? Is that moment right there? Because that moment lasts for about this long. Then you got to wait another 365 days. <laughs> is that what you hope in? Ho- hope is a dangerous thing if it's placed in the wrong object, in the wrong person. Eventually, kids, you have to go back to school. The hope of Christmas break fades quickly come January. Jesus is hope. He inspired this season. His birth gives meaning to what we call Christmas. And the story didn't end that night in Bethlehem. It continues because the king is still among us. God still dwells in the hearts of those who choose to invite him in. I want to invite the band to come as we close the king is among us. He lives. Not that he lived, but he still lives. He still reigns. Not that he reigned, but he continues to reign. The hope is here because the king is still here. You put up that phrase. Maybe you've heard this phrase. Don't get your hopes up. You ever heard somebody say that? Oh, Don't get your hopes up, right? And perhaps you've said it yourself. Parents, maybe you say it to your kids, don't get your hopes up. (laughs) That's your way of squashing what they want. Don't get your hopes up, right? You know, and when someone says that, you just kind of want to go, okay, I receive your discouragement today. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) yes. (laughs) Don't get your hopes up. It's sort of this way of saying, you know, you, you know the things that you know are reality, and that's beyond reality, so just don't even think about it. And perhaps that's what Christmas has become to many people. It's reality that they they can't comprehend because this world doesn't reflect the reality that every human longs for. We all long for peace and joy. We all want things to be set right. We want justice, but we can't find it on this earth. So perhaps, as C.S. Lewis writes, we weren't created just for this world. We were indeed created for another world. If you long for something this world can't provide, do you think perhaps you were made for another world where that is provided? And perhaps that world in, invaded our world, that Jesus came to set things right. And at the end of time, when those two worlds are revealed, they will become one, and we will see all things set right once and for all. The very thing you long for in your life, everything your heart has desired, in that moment, you will either rejoice or regret. This world isn't perfect. This world is messed up. But that's why my heart hopes and longs for something greater than our world could ever provide. Get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. In this moment, perhaps you'd reflect on what your hope is in in your circumstances if my circumstances would just get better if this thing would change if that person would do this if if I had this or didn't have that is your hope really in that or perhaps today in this moment you will understand that your hope can be placed in the person of Jesus Christ and his hope it doesn't disappoint I don't know what you've been hoping in if it's outside of the person of Jesus Christ then maybe you like me have experienced the failure of that thing or that person or that circumstance and in a moment I'm going to invite those of you who maybe you've never placed your hope in Jesus Christ or maybe you did once a long time ago I'm going to invite you to in a moment We're going to bow our heads and close our eyes and invite you to raise your hand as a sign of faith and commitment and an invitation to Jesus to come into your life and into your story. And that moment is something many of us have done. We've taken that moment, we've raised the hand, we've prayed a prayer of faith began the journey of hope in Jesus. And we're going to invite you to join us in that journey. And I feel like there might be some of you who, at one time, you placed your faith in Jesus and perhaps have felt disappointment. This morning, in my devotions, I started a new daily reading plan on, on the YouVersion app. Uh, it's by Louis Giglio. And part of it was uh, inspirational to me personally. I wanted to share that with you this morning. He writes this, all of us are waiting on something, often wondering if God has forgotten us. In your waiting, let the birth of Christ encourage you. Just because God hasn't come through as far as you can see, it doesn't mean he has abandoned you. This very minute, he's working for his glory and for your good. Could you hope one more time? Church, would you close your eyes in this holy moment? For some of you, this is an eternal moment. Perhaps you would say, Pastor Jeremy, I want to place my faith, my hope in Jesus Christ and the work that was accomplished through him. That God sending his son to die for you, for me, and to rise again to give us new life. That's the moment you have right now. Nobody looking around, would you simply raise your hand? I'm going to pray with you. I'm not going to point you out, but we're going to pray. All of us in this room are going to pray with you. Thank you. You can put your hand back down once you've raised it. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? And church, we're going to pray with those who've raised their hands. We're going to pray out loud. Because for us who already believe, it's a confirmation, a reaffirmation of faith and a celebration of those who are joining us in this journey of hope in Jesus. Would you repeat after me? Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, I invite you in I invite you in to my life. Thank you for sending your Son, you sending your son to, die to die on a cross for my sins. For my sins. You provided forgiveness and new life life. when he rose again. again. I ask for that forgiveness. forgiveness. Help me to live for you. you. Give me faith. faith. In the name of Jesus, I pray. pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, if if you prayed that prayer maybe for the first time or perhaps recommitting your life today, we'd love to hear from you. connection card Rick spoke of earlier in the service is in the chair back in front of you. You can mark the appropriate box and put the information and drop by the Connection Center. We've got a free gift for you as well that we'd love to put into your hands. Can I pray a blessing over you? As, As we've prayed for this moment of hope to enter in the hearts and lives of people, I want to pray a blessing over those of you who believe. Taken that step. I believe your goal now is to be carriers of hope. In this season, when hope can get lost and all the craziness and the frustrations and the worries of money and family and all the other things, would you be the ones who carry hope? There are people around you in your circles of influence that need the light in their dark world, and hope in their desperation. Can I pray for you this morning, Father? I pray your Holy Spirit's fire, a revival, another level of, of fire in our lives, of light into this world. Would you cause your people to be carriers of hope that would infect every person around them? Would you not only cause their disposition to be different, but their responses, whether in trial or in triumph, to reflect the heart and character of Jesus Christ. I pray your Holy Spirit's power in their lives in this moment and each day that they take a moment in the morning to say, Jesus, help me today. Would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, give them boldness as they walk in this world full of hope and joy and peace found only in the person of Jesus Christ. Bless your people today as they go from this place It's in the powerful name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Hey, we are so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information about a deeper relationship with Christ, we would love to hear from you. Simply email nextsteps at c2church.com.